All right, Crypt Nation, you guys know what time it is. It is time to go register for the free online summit that we are hosting called Crypto 2020 Summit. You could go to Crypto2020Summit.com. It is going to be the single largest crypto event of the year. Hands down, we got well over 60 speakers already uh, signed up to speak and present on their predictions for 2020. So if you guys don't want to miss out on all the big trends, this is a free event. It's online. You could watch it from the comfort of your own home. Go to Crypto2020Summit.com and register today. All right, what is up, good citizens of Crypt Nation? Glad to be here with my boy, Pizza Mind. How you doing, man? I have returned from Singapore, triumphant and victorious, and also with a sore throat. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, But somebody is joining us today on a very special episode of Crypto 101, Mm. uh, gracing us with his presence is the head of growth at Blockstack, Mr. Patrick Stanley. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. <laughs> we uh, So Blockstack is really interesting. You guys recently did a, a $50 million raise on a Regulation A-plus offering uh, for securities. And, and for those of you who haven't heard of Blockstack, um, this is a, they're building essentially a new freaking internet. Um, one that protects your privacy, that protects all your rights, that you have to, uh, you know, you authenticate everything that uses your data um, with your private key. It's a decentralized computing network and app ecosystem. It's almost like, uh, well, I don't want to get too much into it. I'll let Patrick do all that fun stuff. So Patrick, real quick, uh, give us the high level on um, on Blockstack. What is it and what is the main goal that you guys are trying to accomplish here? Yeah, sure. Um you kind of started getting into it. It's um, <laughs> it is a it is a app ecosystem um, built on a blockchain where users have ownership over their identity, over their data, and they're free to uh, connect with their friends without any third parties in between. So what we're trying to do here, our mission is to upgrade the internet and give essentially users back their data dignity and their right to uh, own things online. And so the key, the key sort of um, core promise is um, allo- uh, allowing apps to be built on the platform that can't be evil. So that's like, a, I, use, I use can't be evil in quotes because it's definitely a spectrum of, uh, of, kind of kind of privacy preservation and kind of like user-centeredness that, that, can, that can be created. But if you think about kind of like Google in the early days, they, they had don't be evil. And that was a function of them being able to amass so much control over user data, and and um, and we're we're kind of like taking the exact uh, kind of opposite. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love I love that. That's a that that's a perfect explanation. So it's almost like you guys are. I mean, there's so many different apps that could be built. I mean, it's just this big decentralized database. I mean, you could build decentralized search engines. You right on top of it, you could build uh, a decentralized app store. All sorts of different cool stuff, and, and why is it so important that users own their own data and their own identity? And what does yeah, that mean, what does that look like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can pretty much say any day of the week, any day, any day of the year. Did you hear what happened with Facebook? <laughs> and it's typically a valid question. Um, so true. And I think, and I yeah, think, and I think I think these are just the things that we're hearing about on a daily basis. And so what I'm speaking to here is the is like 
the hacks, the abuse of the abuse of data. Essentially, we're living online like insecure digital feudal serfs. I think the day will come when um, we start taking back ownership over our right to own our own data and have apps compete over us. So right now, there's like we use the internet today, and I feel like most people are pretty pretty happy with their experience, and but but feel kind of um, helpless when it comes to like like essentially large data monopolies owning like running the internet and and being beholden to whatever whatever they say or whatever happens to them. And I think well, what we're seeing is we're seeing a big essentially uprising of people that um, are ready for something new, and so they're starting to build hundreds of apps on this platform. They're, 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 starting, they're starting to use the applications in a way that preserves the user's data dignity. And so what I, and I would say like one other thing is I think we're like totally living in a local maximum on the internet, meaning we're in this place that is better than, a, better than we were before from, um, from like a user experience standpoint from like mm-hmm. the 90s. But we could be in a far more innovative place when it comes to um, apps getting delivered direct to consumer, um, just straight from straight from the keyboard, essentially. And so, we want to usher in like a whole new age of innovation that happens from removing barriers to entry and removing third parties. So it's almost like a decentralized app store in the sense that you know there's no quote unquote Apple company to take thirty percent and to. Uh, you know, 30% of the developers revenue, and then also have, you know, subjecting the developers to all these different regulations, and then maybe one day changing an API call that, you know, breaks somebody's applications. There's none of that, right? Absolutely. That's a really great way of describing it. The, like essentially a decentralized app store. It's one that anyone can curate. And I think um, what's interesting about that is um, you have all sorts of risk as a developer building applications. So if you're a developer building on Slack or on Facebook or using Twitter APIs, you're subject to um, you're subject to the whims of that company. So you have platform risk, meaning um, that company could just one day say, oh, "We're shutting you off." Uh, in the block stack world, you pu- you push an application, and everyone on the block stack network can pull down that application and use it with their friends, and also use it uh, not necessarily without. Uh, you needing to provide any any further any further sort of services. Um, the other thing is um, the other thing is like um, like right now the applications are mostly uh, mobile web apps. Sorry, web apps and some mobile web apps. Uh, the very few native uh, sort of native applications for like iPhone or, or Android, and um, we're still kind of determining sort of what our strategy is there. Whether it's like lean into uh, kind of like native app support, but um, there is a platform risk in the iPhone ecosystem uh, and, now, and the iOS ecosystem and the Android ecosystem, when you've seen um, sort of crypto-centric uh, applications be pulled down from that app store. So while in some of those applications, they're not, they're not all nefarious. Some of those applications are actually just really uh, well, well-intentioned, well-intentioned apps. So we have there is essentially um, uh, a large tech company uh, with the ability to set the standards for what kind of apps want to live on their platform, and we just think like the freedom to innovate is equally as important as like the freedom to escape from uh, essentially these like tech monopolies and and, and and use something that's built around you. So you're talking about apps that aren't governed by anyone, and let, let's highlight just a little bit 
I mean, where you said, you know, an API could shut off. It's not just as simple as, oh, the developer has to upgrade this API and push a fix. They can simply disable this product that they've had that other developers are reliant upon. And those guys are out of business. Their products are done. A great example of that was when Google disabled Android's Internet of Things operating system. And dozens of companies, including here, some here in the crypto space, had to literally start over from scratch on all their development and build on something like Raspbian or whatever else that they needed to do. They It just disabled years of work because Google didn't feel like uh, making this product available anymore. And that's why this is such a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. There's an app I used to use called Path. It was built by actually our advisor, Dave Morin, who's like a total product genius. And it was like the most loved app that had failed. And um, when it when it, you know, like if you had all your stuff stored there, you no longer have access to it. Whereas like in a block stack world, there's no, there's no, not necessarily a concept of, of an application needing to die because it like runs out of funding. People can still run those applications uh, locally on their phones or on their, on their computers and use them to communicate with people. So it's almost like heirloom applications. Um, but yeah, totally, man. Like, I think that, yeah, that goes to the platform risk thing. It's like, if you're, if you're building a trusted brand, you want to you want to be able to you want to be able to deliver on your promise that you're going to be able to serve people for for longer than however long the platform that you're operating on decides to let you. That's why blockchains, yeah. that's why blockchains are so interesting. They don't they don't necessarily die. Like that, they're a really great coordinating function and and kind of like a kind of like a good a good uh, place to start from um, sort of building a building a trusted ecosystem. Hundred percent, and, and so. Tell me a little bit about the differences between a platform like Ethereum and a platform like Blockstack. Yeah, sure. Um, so Ethereum started through the lens of uh, smart contracts being in the kind of like center of everything. And with that brought a lot of experimentation because it was this like so, sort of like novel, sort of like this novel uh, application, like uh, this novel function where you could uh, you could sort of like uh, program computation to happen automatically, um, and what we believed from the very very early on, and we've like we have blog posts on this, um, dating back to like 2016, 2015. We don't believe that blockchains scale, and so what we did was instead of focusing on smart contract lines, we actually focused on the data and identity side of things. And so, for example, if you're using I, I, um, I didn't need to check on this today, and I, I, uh, I, would, I would ask folks to sort of do your own research, but if you're using sort of like a, like a Twitter clone on Ethereum, like how they would think through that, for how, they have think, how they have thought through that is essentially, you know, use a smart contract to uh, pay a little bit of Ether to post a tweet. And um, you post the tweet, you know, there's friction there, costs money. And then everyone can like see the tweet. In the block stack world, we don't think that should necessarily cost. Um, we don't necessarily think that that friction should be should be introduced. Um, and also, we see it as as a potential scaling issue. If you get a bunch of people trying to tweet, you know, they're using the smart contracts. They like overload the network, and you have a situation like I did with CryptoKitties, which was a, a digital uh, collect digital collectors um, sort of game on top of Ethereum where it's slowed down the entire network and like, uh, essentially clogged up the network. And so like, you don't want, want that from user experience standpoint. You want to be able to 
compete on the application level, apples to apples, um, and even better, uh, better apples to apples with centralized apps. Like our whole theme is around uh, user privacy, data dignity, and like the sort of theme around uh, Ethereum is kind of one of like a world, like a, a world computer, which has, um, there is, it, it's, it has shown cracks and they're currently upgrading to Ethereum 2.0. So that'll be a few years of development there, kind of like starting, starting again. Where are you guys at in terms of development and when or how can the general public participate in this environment? Yeah, sure. So it's super early days, but um, compared to this time last year, this time last year, we had about 17 apps on the platform. Today, I think we have over 320. And most of these apps are currently building, being built by people who um, are, who like believe, most of them are being built by sort of like hobbyists or people who kind of like believe in this new this new future and want to usher it through. There's some very professional teams, but a lot of people are, are sort of like um, starting to enter the ecosystem at, at an accelerating rate. And all these folks essentially have the one thing in common, which is they're looking to build trusted brands that preserve, uh, that can't be evil to their end users. I know I say that a lot, but it's worth repeating. Um, so people can check out Blockstack apps by just going to app.co forward slash Blockstack. The more you use Blockstack apps, the better your experience should get over time. I'm talking over the course of like years, you know? So I wouldn't, I'd say like the expectation today, like November 2019, is that. There's a lot of green shoots, a lot of a lot of new apps, and that the quality of apps has been actually increasing in quality ever since it will it's projected to continue. What do you think the biggest like barrier to entry or the hardest part of using the platform is when compared to a traditional centralized competitor? Yeah, sure. So I think the concept of holding onto private keys is a is a very difficult one for like grandma and grandpa to wrap their heads around. However, we have a lot, we have like a pretty stellar product team who's in the process of sort of like uh, making that a lot more smooth. And we've, we've done a lot of things to kind of make it more familiar for like the general user. But I'd say conceptually, um, private keys, private keys are a different or a whole different thing from username and password. Like I have 200 usernames and passwords for various applications I use around the internet. But I only, I only really use one my, my single block stack ID. That's like my single sign on to all my apps in the, in the block stack ecosystem. So in that, in that sense, it is better. Once you're onboarded, you don't need to use passwords. And it's like, it's way better than a centralized app. But the onboarding, I think most of it is like, um, our product team is, is working on featuring, it's working on featuring like the privacy elements of it rather than um, necessarily um, complicating things with the identity and um, sort of, public private key aspects of it. It's kind of a, lot, a lot of it's like a big practice in getting out of your own way. So how does the Blockstack token work in the ecosystem? Uh, and is it the same thing as a security reg A plus, or is there another utility token? Can you explain that a little bit? Sure thing, yeah. So it's all the same token. And right, like there's there's a, there's phases to sort of like what the token can be used for. So initially, you can use the token to purchase digital names, like human readable names. Uh, you know, you could buy, you know, John, John Smith 242.id. And, and what happens is you pay a little bit of token, uh, you burn it, the network, uh, the network can see that you burnt it and it registers a human readable name that no one can take away from you. So that's one thing. So you can think of that as like, 
a decentralized uh, a decentralized GoDaddy or Namecheap, where you know, people are people are buying human readable names, um, and like a DNS or a yeah. website or something. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know whether to go that deep on the crypto one on one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. But, but, but it's exactly like that. Yeah, it's like the centralized DNS. We call it BNS, Block Stack Name System. So that's one thing. The next thing that's going to happen is we're rolling out, um, we're rolling out a smart contract language um, called, uh, that's built on the Stacks. Uh, the Stacks blockchain um, early next year, and that will allow for hyper secure, hyper transparent, hyper predictable uh, smart contract creation. I think this is important. Ah. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I think this is important for like reinforcing uh, kind of like trusted, uh, trusted sort of like protocols built on top of a block stack. So that's going to allow for a lot of experimentation safely, and I think. Um, I think like really, really professional developers are going to prefer that over the current options available in the sort of the blockchain space. Do you have a friend who's interested in getting into cryptocurrency, but they don't know where to start building their portfolio? Well, we have the answer. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With Copy Trader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders, just like myself or Bryce or Kevin, at the exact price point and in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply just sign up and copy our trades. Any profits that we make, you do too. Proportional to your investment, of course. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com slash crypto101. Thank you. You know, when we think about protocols, like now in this day and age, we're investing in networking protocols. Is that fair to say? Like when you buy Bitcoin, you're buying a piece of this network, essentially. Yeah, you're buying. And, I, yeah, I think you're buying what Bitcoin stands for. Too. Okay, I see. And, and and so, like, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, you know, when we're buying a block stack token, or when somebody is. You know what are they? What are they buying? Can they? Is are there going to be applications built on top of Blockstack that you know you could transfer value between? But you're going to need the token, or is it literally? You know, you just the only like I don't know. Like, could you just talk a little bit more about the use cases of it? Yeah, sure. So I was mentioning what do you? Yeah, yeah. What what are you getting? Sure. So I was mentioning um, right now the biggest user of Blockstack are developers who are like rapidly developing apps. There's there's like I think there's like 30 to 50 new apps built every single month, and what they're they're doing currently, which I I was uh, I uh, just to complete the thought um, was they're building applications and earning the Stacks token as a, a function of building great apps through this program that we're that we're piloting called App Mining. So App Mining pushes apps in the direction of building um, building their infrastructure in a way that really really protects users' data. So like when people are building apps, they can choose to send data 
anywhere they want, right? Like the brand, the brand promise is only enforced by folks who sort of abide by it. And so we're accelerating the development of applications that that do put users at the center of the experience and and, and in control, and who also get the most amount of usage. So that's what we're trending toward with that program. So um, I'd say like when you look at what uh, stacks represent, you can look at it as um, the currency, the, the only currency you can use to buy uh, a digital asset. Um, so that's like a namespace, which can give you access to apps, or uh, you can also have, you can also buy uh, sort of a name that, you buy a name that represents a subscription. You know, so it could be like a access control. And so, um, and then the other thing is like compute. So you can think of like stacks being used as like AWS credits and to power applications if need be, right? And um, I think what's gonna happen is like, when you look at things from the very beginning with stacks, it's important to recognize like the usage of stacks should increase over time, uh, given like what is available to be hacked on. So like right now developers cannot uh, cannot use the stacks token to power smart contracts until the beginning of next year. Once they do that, people will be deploying smart contracts and um, and fueling them with the Stacks token. I think, I think just like, um, so I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation there. There's going to be a lot of experimentation around purchasing uh, digital assets and having them be represented by something. Um, and also sort of um, powering, uh, powering applications and computation and even like servers, uh, like third-party servers that are decentralized in, in some, some parts. So, I think like kind of like when you, I mean, when I look at, when I look at kind of like five years, eight years in the future, uh, what I see is uh, stacks sort of representing, representing um, both the concept of like a new internet that people want to usher forward, uh, given, given like the app mining program, given like building smart contracts that ensure uh, predictability um, and also the right to purchase your own digital real estate. So Kind of like a, it's kind of like a digital nation state in a way. That's really, really that's a really cool idea. I like that concept of the digital nation state. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of like, like how I feel about what Facebook is trying to do with Libra. They got more they got more users than any co- single country has citizens, and you know, I think we're kind of getting ushered towards a world here. Uh, you know, in the next ten twenty years of you know. I think act like Facebook will literally be considered like a sovereign Without a country doubt. or like, uh, yeah, like our, our conceptions of borders and nation states is going to be completely deconstructed. Yeah, for sure. There's this great book called the sovereign individual that kind of outlines all this stuff. Um, oh, I'll it, check it out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. It was written in 1997 and it's extremely prescient. Like they predict Bitcoin down to like scary detail. Um, <laughs> they also predict that the rise of nationalism, and they predict a whole bunch of other things. It's it's like it's like really kind of like looking into the future in some sense. Like obviously you take a grain of salt because you gotta think for yourself. But yeah, I think no doubt. Like I think like the nation like sort of I kind of feel like the nation state and the traditional internet are sort of incompatible fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And so you're starting to see this happen with Facebook butting up against Congress. Like if you ask a, a, a congressperson. How they feel about Facebook, they don't like them at all. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Never have anything nice to say to Mr. Mark Zuckerberg. Well, they don't. I think they're trying to figure out what to actually do with them. 
Because like in it, like if you think about Facebook, yeah, they have all these digital citizens, right? And they don't yet have a currency. They don't yet have an army, uh, which is good, I guess. And <laughs> for now, because like who knows what arises out of that? That's that's too that's like a, too interesting. Um, yeah. And 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 so right now they, I mean, they have the ability to sway any election they want. Um, in large part because they control information. Like the, alg- the creators of the algorithms um, control, like Google and Facebook can sway an election if they want to. And so nation states, they kind of they kind of like cautiously know this. Uh, they sort of cautiously know this, but um, there's kind of little they can do because um, these these companies are typically um, typ- typically global companies. They're operating in many in many different countries. So it's going to be I think the next seven years between like. Facebook and Google and the U.S. government and China—that's going to be—that's going to be, that's gonna be um, something that I think accelerates the adoption of something like Blockstack. The word for 2020 is going to be interoperability, which means all these different ecosystems and blockchains working together and being able to access one another's data. What is Blockstack's opinion on interoperability in the first place, or do you really want to have your own sovereign? completely closed system that protects your users? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I won't speak on behalf of Blockstack um, because this is like a, this is like a pretty uh, meaty question, but I would say I really believe in minding your own business <laughs> in a way. And like, I mean, I believe like if you're going to enforce uh, certain, certain uh, digital rights to the quote unquote digital citizens of your, uh, of your projects, uh, like kind of like on top of your blockchain and you would need to ensure that the sort of corresponding party doesn't do anything to um, impede on your digital citizens rights um, and I'm, I'm now I'm now I'm using those terms because we talked about the nation state stuff but um, interoperability I think is I think from an investor standpoint it's it's super interesting um, from an investor standpoint, it's super interesting because you think, okay, well, where is the opportunity between uh, the glue that connects these blockchains, right? But I think the reality is most of these most of these projects are still like little kids, kind of like trying to reach for the top shelf of the cookies, and they're nowhere close, right? So what we're do- what we're kind of doing is just like focus, like for the time being, our heads are like we're very focused on just growing our own community and not necessarily um, diffusing our focus. Um, for the time being, with um, sort of like uh, interoperability with other protocols. Now that said, um, that could change very quickly with like an easy integration. Um, when like let's say for example our smart contract for, uh, language rolls out at the beginning of next year, then you have a project like Chainlink that wants to sort of like act as like an oracle um, that interoperates with the smart contracts. Yeah, sure, definitely, definitely do that. And um, but I'd say like. I'd say like all this needs to be considered through the lens of how you as a how your project is delivering on their core promise and how they're how they're building a trusted brand. And that's what I believe is actually most exciting about the whole blockchain space is that we're moving to an age where um, trusted brands, like people that people's people's trust in our major institutions, um, like you know, political, te- technological, um, and like just big, big biz or whatever has been falling over time. And I think what we're actually trending toward now is an era where people want more and more trust because they haven't been able to trust the old 
build institutions. And I think, I think that's, that's what we're kind of focused on, which is like building, making sure we can, we can, we can deliver on our core promise and not the apps in our ecosystem. Can. I think interoperability is great for experimentation, but I, I think it's, it's like orthogonal to our core, to like what we're trying to accomplish at the moment. Amazing. No, that makes a lot of sense and, and, and very well explained. Um, so before we wrap up here, I, I got a couple more questions. Some of the questions that we like to ask everybody that comes on to Crypto 101. And the first one is just going to be, you know, if this is the first podcast uh, that somebody, you know, who's just now getting into the space has heard first podcast, you know, what would be one word of advice as they enter into this space that we call crypto? Don't believe anyone. I love it. <laughs> that's good. That's short and sweet. That's uh, just yeah. fucking do your own research. Absolutely. And then even then, be careful. Yeah. Definitely don't use Reddit as a source of wealth or source of material in that case. Yeah. I mean, this is um, the crypto ecosystem is, I think it, I, I think for many people, it, it actually makes them a better person. Um, in terms of like, you know, hot, like learning to save money because, you know, for example, with Bitcoin, it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's like winning the lottery in slow motion. So you're, you have this, like, you have this very direct incentive to like not let any Bitcoin go. And that's, that's their core promise, sound money. Right. And also I think uh, the trusted brand thing, I think people are going to have to be more and more transparent with what's going on uh, under the hood of their vertical and under under their apps and things like that, and and so, you know, there's 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 sort of uh, I think bad actors will naturally be rejected from the crypto ecosystem because because um, it, it's it's kind of like a completely new thing. You know, you're dealing with bearer instruments, you're dealing with public and private keys. You mess something up, it's kind of like it's usually kind of permanent, or um, or like it damages you in, in, in some way in some way that wouldn't normally damage uh, a regular company. All right, Patrick. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really interesting to learn about Blockstack. And I can't wait to see uh, all the things that are coming in the future. As soon as uh, that big killer app hits, there's a great chance it's going to be from your platform. Yeah, I'm excited too. Thanks for having me on. This is a, this is a blast. Our pleasure. All right. Take care. Cheers. See you. So as we've traveled around the world, we had this idea that everyone should have a chance to be included in getting the same kind of information and knowledge required to make good investment choices. And with that, we decided to put on our own conference online and completely free at Crypto2020Summit.com. Yes, Pizza Mind is very correct. Uh, we are putting on the Crypto 2020 Summit. This is a free online conference from January 29th to 31st, and we want everybody who's listening to this to go sign up. Uh, it's free only for a limited time. This is a conference that you guys can tune into on your computer, at your home. Uh, you could be in your PJs. You could be sipping tea. It's going to be awesome. Every day we're adding more speakers to the lineup. You could go check it out at www.crypto2020summit.com. Pause this episode right now. If you haven't signed up yet, uh, you can do it on your mobile. You can do it on your iPad. You can do it on your BlackBerry. You can do it on your MacBook. Do it. Do it. As Shia LaBeouf would say, just do it. And Nike. Okay, bye.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.